Now I want you to turn to Psalm 96 in your Bibles uh, this morning. That's where we're going to be. And I hope that today we're just going to take another simple step in our understanding of worship this morning as we continue in this series. And I want to remind you of, of what we did talk about last week in case you weren't here. It's always good to be reminded there were two big ideas that I presented to you last week that that we can remember going into what we're going to talk about today. The first one is that worship begins with God. It doesn't begin with us. Amen? Amen. That creation was worshiping God. The heavens were worshiping God. The inhabitants of glory were worshiping God way before you and I ever decided we wanted to. Way before we even came into existence. That God, from the very moment he created, was a God who was worshiped. And worship, the worship of God transcends us. All of heaven is full of the worship of God. All of the earth, the earth, the universe, all material creation is singing and worshiping and declaring the glory of God. And that is regardless of what you and I do. Whether we are faithful in our call to worship or not, creation and heaven are continually worshiping God because he deserves to be worshiped. And we said the second thing was because we were made to worship, creation worships, all of heaven worships, then we were fashioned and designed for worship and our greatest purpose is to worship God and God alone as our creator. That we were created to worship the one who created us. And so... There is a desire in you to worship. That is in you. God wired that in you. He made that a part of who you are. And you can't escape that. You will worship. The question we have to pose is what or whom will you worship? God has wired us for worship. Who are we or what are we giving our worship to? So when we're not worshiping the one who is worthy, and we talked about that word worthy, that we're declaring that his worth is greater than anything else we could give our worship to, we will either give our worship to the one who is worthy of it that we were created to worship, or we will give our worship to less worthy things or less worthy people. But you were made to worship, and you're going to worship. It just stands to who or what that will be. So I want us to read Psalm 96 as we keep going. And I told you last week that, that some of these beginning things that I'm going to share with you are very basic principles. The, the Vince Lombardi, this is a football speech. Um, we're kind of still in that a little bit this morning. Um, But I want us to use Psalm 96 as our text today. So Psalm 96, verses 1 through 13, you can follow along on the screen or in your Bible. I'm going to be reading it from the CSB translation this morning. Verse 1, sing a new song to the Lord. Let the whole earth sing to the Lord. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Proclaim his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his wondrous works among all peoples. For the Lord is great and is highly praised. He is feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. 
splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, you families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory of his name. Bring an offering and enter his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Let the whole earth tremble before him. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world is firmly established. It cannot be shaken. He judges the peoples fairly. Let the heavens be glad and the earth rejoice. Let the sea and all that fills it resound. Let the fields and everything in them celebrate. Then all the trees of the forest will shout for joy before the Lord, for he is coming. For he is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with his faithfulness. Now, if you happen to grab a bulletin when you came in the door, I want you to pull it out for a second and look at it. On the front of it, there's the big green box that's got the schedule of, for the week of all the things. But there's a little phrase up in the top right-hand corner that's next to the date. It's next to the name of the church. What does that say? Welcome to worship. I want you to know that I'm, I'm second-guessing whether that's the appropriate language that we should use. I, I second-guessed this week even. Should we... Put those, that phrase on there that way. Or is there a better way to say it? Because our language reflects our state of mind, right? The way we describe something and the way we use language very much impacts the way we view it or what we think about it. So when you come to worship, when we say welcome to worship, that implies that you come to something. So... When you come to worship, what do you mean? I want you to think about for a second and just get inside your own head. And when you use the phrase, I'm coming to church or I'm coming to worship, what do you mean? Are you saying that you're coming to a service that has rituals and routines that are made up of music and a sermon and that you're coming to observe and to listen to something that's going on. Kind of like a theater. Do you, do you say, I'm coming to church like you say, I'm coming to the movies? Or I'm coming to the theater? Because that may be kind of how it feels when you come to church, right? I mean, look in the room. Look at the way the room is set up. I mean, we, we kind of have, this is, this is what it looks like when you go to the theater, Right? Or to a concert. We have, we have an audience, right? That's you guys. Room's full of an audience. We've got a stage and, and the performers or the actors. If we say theater, the actors are on the stage. That would be me, Dan, the band. People. We have the people on the stage who are doing the performing. You're the audience. And so there's always a producer or a director with any kind of a play or a production. So... Well, that, that must be God. You're the audience, and, and we're, the, we're the ones on the stage. And, and then God is the director. God is the one that's 
moving everything. That's, that's very much how it, it can feel when you come to church. But do you think of worship as, a, as, a, as an event? Or do you think of worship as something that you come to do? Because we talked about last week how we were created for the purpose of worship. But many of us approach worship as an event to be attended. And so if, if that's our understanding of what worship is, and we say that God has created us for the purpose of worship, what that sounds like is that God has created us for the purpose of coming to an event. God's created us for the purpose of showing up and coming to a thing. Who loves a good ball game? You can raise your hand. It's okay to say, I like sports while you're in church. It's, you're not going to go to hell for that. It's okay. All right? Um, I mean, this is similar like if you go to a ball game. Like right now, it's baseball season. I'm big into baseball season. Go Braves, right? So you go to a ball game. Could be similar to going to church maybe, right? You go, you go to a, a big place and there's a large crowd of people and you go with your friends and you go and you sit and you watch and you might, you might cheer occasionally. You might yell, you know, go Braves or go Dogs or whatever you want to cheer. You may yell, participate a little bit, but you're there to watch the players do their thing on the field or to do their thing on the court if you're into basketball, tennis, whatever it is. So you're there to watch. Nothing that I do at a Braves game contributes to the outcome of what happens on the field. Right? Nothing. Nothing I'm doing is making any difference to that. But when I leave the game, when the game is over, what do we say? We may say something like, man, we've got work to do, right? Man, we got work to do. We barely squeezed that one out. Or, man, our defense just wasn't on tonight. We, our defense was bad. We weren't hitting the ball. We couldn't, we couldn't get any shots off tonight. <laughs> or if we win, what do we say? We won. No, you didn't. You didn't do anything. I didn't do anything. I sat on my tail with a bag of peanuts and some popcorn and a big fat Coke Zero. And I might have, and I probably stood up during the seventh inning stretch and sang, Take Me Out to the Ball Game. That was my contribution. I didn't win anything, I didn't do anything. But I will ascribe. What I see the players do, I will, I will project what they've done onto myself. I will, I will associate myself with what they're doing so much that I'll, that I'll say things like, we did this and we did that when I didn't do anything. Here's a big idea for today. Here's the first one. Worship is an active experience, not an attended event. When the Bible speaks of worship, it does not speak of worship as something that we can come and sit in our seats and watch happen and then say that we did it. 
The Bible doesn't talk about worship that way. The Bible talks about worship as a verb, as an active experience, something that we do. And that may seem really elementary, but again, this is one of those, this is a football principles. Worship is an experience. Back in 2018, right after I became your pastor, we did a series of messages called Vertical, and it was about, it was about worship. And I gave you a definition of worship, and I want to remind you, you may, some of y'all that write notes in your Bible, you may even have this written down somewhere. But this is the definition of worship that I gave you back over five years ago. Worship is focusing our mind's attention and our heart's affection on God in response to who he is and what he's done. Now, I've been your pastor for a little over five years, and I've been preaching for, for that long, like, consistently week after week and and I look back at my sermons five years ago and I look at that point and I go okay that's not a bad definition but now the older I get and the more I'm learning the the more I want to like I want to I feel like it's still missing something but I was getting close to what I felt like it was missing when I put that phrase in response there And I think the key to that definition is not so much in the mind's attention and the heart's affection, but it's in that phrase, in response. Because worship does, it involves our minds and our spirits together, but it's an active response to God. And some of the things I'm going to mention to you and challenge you with this morning, we're going to come back to, we're not just going to say it and then go away from it. We're going to come back to some of these things and look at some, some of them in more detail. But today, the big idea is that, that worship is a verb. It is an active thing. It's not something that we don't participate in. There's two primary verbs in Psalm 96. And this is why I chose Psalm 96, because I think it will tell us a couple of, of basic things that we'll see. And we'll talk about these things in more detail down the road. But But again, involving action, that worship is an active thing. It's something that you do. It's something you participate in. It's not something you come to. It's not something that you watch. So there's two things that we do when we respond. If our our worship is going to be in response to God, then we have to do something. I asked this at 8.30. Ladies, when you're talking to your husband and you're telling him something, and then he doesn't say anything back to you. (laughs) You're in the room, he's in the room, you're talking, you're talking, and you get nothing. What do you you want? You want a what? Response, please, can you at least acknowledge that I said something to you? Right? Husbands, we've all gotten that. And then what we do is we really were listening, right? We did actually hear the words, and so we think we're doing a great thing when we, when we instantly recall, oh, yeah, I heard you. And this is what you said. You said this and this and this. And we think, oh, yeah, I got her because I could remember what she said. No. <laughs> no, you still messed up because what they're looking for is a response. Not just to hear it, but to respond to it. If worship is a response to God, 
then we, it, it's one thing to come and be in the presence of God and to hear God, but never respond. Just like you can sit in the room with your wife, husbands, and hear every word she says and never respond. You can come to church on Sunday morning and be in these walls for over an hour and be, be in the same room with God, hear the things that God says, and never respond. And if you, haven't, if you don't respond, then you've not really worshipped. You can come in and out of here and have never worshipped. So if we want to respond, what are two, and, and, and so there's a response and that's an action. There's two words that are in this, this psalm that I think we can pinpoint. The first one is declare. When we respond, we declare. Um, verses 1 through 3, look at those. Sing a new song to the Lord. Let the whole earth sing to the Lord. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name Proclaim his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his wondrous works among all peoples. Now, one way that we declare, what's the most common way that you will declare things about God when you come to church? You will sing, yes. That's, that's the most common way. You may not say a word about God any other time, but you will participate in a song from time to time. You will sing the words, the lyrics to a song, and there is a huge misconception that we will talk more about later on, but a misconception that music and worship are the same thing. They are not the same thing. But music has been an outlet that the church has used for the purpose of worship throughout all of its history. Obviously, the psalmist is telling us to sing, sing, sing. One of the ways that we declare is through singing. But we have to know this, that all singing is not worship. And all worship is not singing. So in these first three verses, we're told several things. One, to sing a new song. Sing a new song to the Lord. We may hear that and go, ha, there's a biblical argument for modern contemporary music. Because the Bible says to sing new songs, don't sing old songs. Right? Not what that means. When Scripture tells us to sing a new song, it means to sing with new expressions of the knowledge and understanding that we are gaining as we are growing in our relationship with God. That doesn't have anything to do with the copyright date. And I want to challenge you here a little bit, and I'm sure we'll, I'm, we'll mention this again. But no matter if you are the one who really, really likes the new songs or the one who really, really likes the old songs, and you tend to look down on either one, neither is getting it right. And this is why. <laughs> because the, the, the age of the song, the new song that you sing, comes from the new understanding and experience of worship that you're gaining as you're growing closer to God. So worship happens 
as a result of my response to what God is doing. And when I, when I sing a song that puts words to the experience that I'm having and I'm able to worship. It doesn't, it doesn't matter how new or how old it is. We are, we are missing it. When we get wrapped up in how old a song is or how new a song is, and we all do it. You should, if, if, and I've heard this before, if you come into a corporate worship and you leave saying, I can't worship to that kind of music, then you completely misunderstand worship. Because you're not responding to the music. You're responding to the truth that the music declares. Worship is about declaration. So it doesn't matter. I can, I can sing, Great is Thy Faithfulness, which is one of my, my, my favorite hymns of the faith. I can sing it, and it doesn't matter how many hundreds of years old it is. I can sing it as a new song every time it comes out of my mouth. You know why? Because I'm seeing a new faithfulness in God. I'm seeing a, a new understanding. Every morning his mercies are new, the song says. So I'm singing it like a new song when it's hundreds of years old. And it says, sing to the Lord, verse 2, right? Sing to the Lord and bless his name. Our songs that we sing primarily are directed to God in verse 2, right? We sing to him. We don't sing to ourselves. We sing to the Lord. Let me tell you something. I don't want to burst your bubble. But if you haven't figured it out already, this is the truth. When Dan and the band and the choir is up here singing, they're not singing to you. All that happens up here is not for you. That is another reason why when we come in with a critical heart and a critical spirit because we don't prefer or like the sound of what worshipers are doing, it's really okay because it's not for you. Sing to the Lord. It's for him. They're his songs. But we can, we can very easily get fooled into thinking that, that we come and sit and we listen and, and that it's for us. But it's not. The songs are directed to God and we are to proclaim, verse 2, proclaim his salvation, declare his glory. That is what our songs should do. We are singing songs to God, for God. And they are proclaiming the truth of who he is. And we are, we are reflecting the, his glory back to him by declaring who he is. How great, how sovereign, how powerful he, he is. And we are, we are declaring that back to him and we're declaring it to each other. And the content of our songs matter. Because the psalmist just doesn't say sing. Just sing. Just sing whatever you want. Right? Just sing, sing, sing. No, he, he gives specific things. Proclaim his salvation. Declare his glory, his wondrous works. If we keep going, if, if you keep going into verse 4, 5, and 6, what we see is that in 1, 2, and 3, we see the, the admonition to sing. And then verses 4, 5, and 6, we see the content of what it is that we're supposed to be singing and declaring. 
4, 5, and 6, it says, For the Lord is great and highly praised. He is feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him, and strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Verses 4, 5, and 6 don't have any commands to do anything. They're just the content of what we're commanded to do in verses 1, 2, and 3. Sing, sing, sing. What are we supposed to sing? 4, 5, and 6. How great God is. He is the center. He is the one that we declare. And the content of our songs matter, and we exalt him above ourselves. This is something that I'm so grateful for in Dan as our worship leader. What we say when we sing matters. And there is a right worship of God in Scripture, and there is a wrong worship of God in Scripture. And Dan is, is so diligent to make sure that what we declare in the songs that we sing in this place are consistent with the truth of what God's Word declares about God. So if we are singing songs that don't line up with the revelation of God that's in Scripture, then that is a wrong worship. It's an incorrect worship. And Dan is so diligent to do that. We have conversations, sometimes on a weekly basis. He will find a song or someone in the church might even suggest a song to him. And he'll listen to it and he'll look at the text of what the words say and he'll come into my office and say, hey, I've got a question about this. And we'll look at lyrics and we will, we will dissect them and we'll open up scripture and we'll, we'll find you know, what, where, where does that, how does that kind of line up in our theology because that's important. What we say about God is, is so important. You can't just sing whatever you want to. So we declare truth. When we respond to God, it's a declaration of who he is in truth. But then, if you look at verse 8, there's another word. If we keep going, there's another important action word that's in verse 8. And it says, bring an offering and enter his courts. So when we, when we come together for, for worship actively, we don't just actively declare, but we actively bring. There's a preparation involved in worship. We, we bring something to God. We bring something to give. And I touched on this very briefly last week, but... When we get up on Sunday morning asking the question, what will I get from worship today? We're asking the wrong question. Again, worship is not for you. The songs are not for you. There's nothing really that we do that's for you. So when I come into church or when I leave church on a Sunday and I say those infamous words, I just really didn't get anything out of church today. The question we need to be asking is what will I bring? What will I bring to worship? What will I bring in my worship? Because service and sacrifice are directly tied to the right worship of God. There are things that God expects you to bring when you come into his presence to worship. There's a preparation involved in it. 
And of course, one of the things that we bring, the text says bring an offering and enter his courts. Well, when you hear the word offering, you probably think money. And yes, is offering and tithes a part of worship? Yes, absolutely is. That is why we have a portion of our service that we dedicate to give you the opportunity to give because giving is an active declaration of worship. And there are some folks who that's a really, really important part of their worship experience. Now, we've got lots of options. There, there are some folks who, who mail checks and they come to the church office. There are lots of people that use e-give, I, me included, that that's just easier. That, like, consistency is a big deal. And so you want to make sure that you, and it's easier to do it online. And all those things are convenient. That's great. But I do know some people who don't want to give on e-give and they don't want to mail their check into the church. They want to bring it to worship with them. Because they've got an understanding of this principle that, that I'm going to bring my offering and give as I worship. Because that's part of my worship. And that's not meant to make you feel bad if you don't do that. If, but but what, how do you respond to God during the time of taking offerings and tithes? If you've given online or if you've mailed your check... Is that moment in worship just something that you, you just let pass by because you, you don't have anything to put in the plate because you've already done it a different way or at a different time? That's okay. Maybe in that moment, for those of us who, who have done that, maybe that moment is meant for us to reflect on what we've, what we've brought and why we've brought it and what kind of heart with which we've brought whatever we've given but that's not all we bring when it when when the scripture says bring an offering to God in worship it's not just talking about money or tithes or those things we have to bring a right heart and we have to bring a right sacrifice I want to take you back to Genesis chapter 4 If you'll turn over or follow along with me there, Genesis chapter 4, the story of Cain and Abel. This is a story we're very familiar with, but I want to remind you of this contrast that we see here. In Genesis 4, verses 3 through 7, it says, In the course of time, Cain presented some of the land's produce as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also presented an offering, some of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. The Lord had regard for Abel in his offering, but he did not have regard for Cain in his offering. Cain was furious, and he looked despondent. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you furious, and why do you look despondent? If you do what is right, won't you be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. There is a right offering that we bring to God in worship. And this is what this means. God is not obligated to accept whatever we bring. He's not obligated when you come before him in worship and you bring whatever you bring. God is not obligated to accept it. Cain brought an offering. 
that God did not accept. And there are lots of reasons that scholars, and as we study that, and say, well, because the text doesn't just come out and tell us why God didn't accept Cain's offering. It could be that, that the pattern that we see with Adam and Eve, with how God covered them of their sins with the sacrifice of an animal and we see the precedence of the sacrificial system that comes after that when we study it the whole Bible in context we can say perhaps it was because Cain's offering didn't involve a blood sacrifice which was a part of the system that God was setting up and so it didn't it, it wasn't a it wasn't in a proper form his sacrifice wasn't wasn't the right thing it didn't reflect the work of God for redemption and, and Abel's did. But I think even, even if, we, if we're unsure about that, we're sure of one thing because in verse 5, as soon as God says, his, tells Cain his offering is not acceptable, his response is anger. So this tells us something about his heart. Not only did Cain not bring a proper sacrifice, but he didn't bring a, a right heart with it. He got angry with God. And basically his attitude could be like the attitude of many of us sometimes. That I will bring whatever I'm going to bring to you, God, and you have to take it. And that we would be offended and angry to God because what I bring isn't good enough. It's not for me to determine what's right. It, it, it's God's right to determine that. And he instructs us and he tells us. This is the kind of worship I seek. This is the kind of worship I require. And when I bring something that doesn't measure up, he doesn't have to accept it. My, my sacrifice or my heart. So here's the, the next big point. Our worship requires action because we worship an active God. You say, well, why is it worship an event that I can just come to and sit here and be a part of? We, we can't worship an active God passively. Because passive worship is for passive gods. And we don't serve a passive God. We serve a God who is active, who is active in our lives, active in the world, active in all the universe, and has been since the dawn of creation for the redemption of his people. He's, we move in worship because God has moved. We move because he has moved into our creation and he's revealed himself to us. We give in worship because God has given to us. In abundance. We respond to his activity in our life with an active worship being returned back to him. And we sacrifice. We bring sacrifice to worship. Not, not blood sacrifice because that's already been done for us. Praise the Lord. And the sacrifice of Jesus. That's not the sacrifice that we bring. But we bring sacrifice in our worship to God. Why? Because he has already given the greatest sacrifice for us. He's an active God. And so worship has to be a verb. It has to be something that we do. It can't just be something that we come to. If our greatest purpose is worship, we have to see ourselves 
as players, not fans. We have to come ready to get on the field, to be on the court. Because I'll tell you this, God doesn't need any more fans. He's not interested in fans. He's interested in worshipers. So remember that theater picture talked about earlier? That sounded right to some of you. And it makes sense. You're the audience. We're the, we're the actors and God is the director. That's completely wrong. According to the Bible's description of worship. So let me give you a more biblical analogy of where those pieces fit together. You are the actors. You are the performers. You are not the audience. You are the performers and the actors. Me, Dan, the band, the people that stand up here to prompt, Alan, Ashton, whoever is preaching the word. We are the directors. We are the, the producers, so to say. We are the ones who, who direct you, set the stage for you to come and bring your worship, to come and do what you do actively. We try to equip you. We try to give you the resources to, to, to bring your very best. When you come and, and we direct things, we keep them in order. That's, that's part of our role. So if you are the performers and the actors and all of us and then God calls the ones like me and our staff and our leaders to be the directors, that leaves only one person to be the audience. And that's God. God is the audience. God is not the director. God is the audience of our worship. We love you, but we don't come here for you. And I hope that I know that I believe you love me, and I hope to goodness you don't come here for me. If we do, we were both missing it. God is the audience. The one who comes into this place to receive worship is God. The one who is here to receive anything is God, and the ones who come to give worship are the true worshipers. So are we the worshipers? Are we, are we active? Are we the ones in the field actively bringing our worship to God? Or are we sitting in the stands eating our popcorn? 